Hi there, it's Liam here, and thank you for once again listening to another episode of Final Games. I hope you're excited to listen to this week's episode. We've got a great guest, and it's a great episode as well. I just wanted to quickly remind you that the Final Games podcast now has a Patreon that has been relaunched and has been reset up in hopes to sort of uh, create something out of it, like a community and do more things um, to reach out to you guys, as well as getting support for the show, because... Uh, we have some ideas down the line that we'd like to pursue and try uh, with some support from you guys as well. So, yeah, the Patreon is up now. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash final games, um, you will find the, uh, the final games page there and you can... Uh, Give us some support if you would like. There are three tiers, uh, the $1 tier, the $5 tier, and the $10 tier, and each of them have unique rewards, such as behind-the-scenes photos, uh, vlogs, being part of Discord channel, and also at the $10 award, you will be put into what we call the Deserted Games Club that will be starting up in July, where it's kind of like a book club for video games, where myself and other members of the Final Games Patreon and also Final Games community will be playing a game a month uh, through through that month trying to play a game and then at the end of the month chatting about it talking about it in a special channel within the Discord uh, group and then we will be recording like a special video podcast that will go up on the Final Games YouTube at the end of the month all about that game and that's hopefully something that's going to continue throughout the year so if you do fancy wanting to do that and you like the show enough to support it as well please go ahead and do that if you do listen to the show regularly and you've always wondered how you can contribute in any way um, please go to Patreon and consider big thank you to all of those people who since the last episode have sort of found out that the show had a Patreon and are interested and have been asking questions about it and have donated their support thank you so much it's been amazing to hear you guys coming in and being like oh you have a patreon i didn't know i want please here um we definitely want to support you and it's really heartwarming so thank you so much um yeah so other than that you can go to patreon.com forward slash final games and i will be eternally grateful for any support you offer other than that let's start today's show so please listen to final games Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you so much for joining me once again to banish another incredible member of the video game community for the 59th time. And joining me this week to be the said 59th member of Final Games and to be banished for the rest of their days to a deserted island is an incredible guest who's made a name for himself developing weird and wonderful indie games. Under his company title, Blendo Games, my guest has been releasing his own games now for nearly a decade, or as his website would lead you to believe, since dinosaurs roamed the earth. Originally starting out work in 2005 as a designer at Pandemic Studios on games such as Lord of the Rings Conquest, my guest sadly found himself, like all other Pandemic employees in November of 2009, suddenly jobless. 
forcing him to pursue a different avenue, one of his own design, into the foray of indie development. Starting with his first ever solo release and one of his most well-known titles, a PC first-person adventure title that received incredible reviews called Gravity Bone. My guest started to make a name for himself from then on. From there he went on to develop games such as Flotilla, Atom Zombie Smasher and also a sequel to Gravity Bone, 30 Flights of Loving. It was a sequel developed in conjunction with the Idle Thumbs Kickstarter that was happening at the time. Just like Gravity Bone, 30 Flights of Loving received excellent reviews as well as being nominated for a host of awards at the Independent Games Festival that year. But it was this year when my guest took the IGF Grand Prix for his follow-up to 30 Flights of Loving, an excellent computer hacking heist game called Quadrilateral Cowboy, a game that simultaneously has my favourite word and cowboy in the title. Just like the previous two games in the series, Quadrilateral Cowboy received rave reviews and a whole host of awards and nominations for my guest, earning him that Grand Prize Award and also an Excellence in Design Award. I'm very excited to say that joining me this week is the mind behind the blendo, the talented and lovely Mr. Brendan Chung. Hello, Hi. Brendan. How are you doing? Hi. What an intro. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm so glad. I'm very good. I hope, I hope all of it was correct and in order to... Uh, yeah, yeah, it all, it all, it all made sense. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I hope you didn't mind all of your previous decades' wo- uh, worth of work all condensed into a two-minute introduction. Either no, it was, it was perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Brendan. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Finally, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm like, making a shelf right now. You're making a shelf. That is in. That is interesting. I was expecting to say something like any, any game or something. I don't know why. <laughs> How is the shelf going? Uh, very good. I'm waiting for it to finish gluing and I'm going to finish up today. So it's gonna, I'm very excited to finish the shelf. Excellent. <laughs> so, Brennan, you are Mr. Brennan Chung behind Blendo Games. Um, as I said, you've nearly been developing indie games now for 10 years since you worked at a AAA studio. Um, yeah, how's it? How's it been? Well, I say how's it been going. It sounds from my introduction alone that it's been going quite excellent for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got to work in the AAA space for a while, and I got to do independent stuff for right now. Um, it's yeah, I, it's great to just try all these different things and uh, you know be able to make my weird, goofy stuff. So tell me then how you sort of got started in the games industry in general. Were you always wanting to work in the games industry or is it something that just sort of played out? Uh, yeah, I did want to do games. Um, I think I was introduced pretty at a pretty young age to uh, like PC games. And yeah. I really got into Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. Um, and then later I found out that Doom, you know, was kind of designed to uh like the the developers they designed the doom engine to support user-made content like the the engine was developed around accepting user-made content and you know putting it in the putting into the engine um and so i started making doom maps and then i moved on to quake 2 maps then half-life maps and then all the all that mod work led to a job in the triple a space it's weird because I read that you were a film student originally. I studied film in college. Yeah. Okay. Um, I knew I wanted to do video games, but at that time there wasn't any like video game um, programs. Okay. Uh, or at least they weren't like popular at that time. 
So I thought, you know, I really love film. I'm going to try to do this and see how that goes. And just see what happens. And you ended up in video games anyway, which is great. And you worked at Pandemic Studios. Um, Unfortunately, the now defunct Pandemic Studios. How did you sort of end up getting your role at Pandemic then? Uh, Yeah, I just had a big portfolio of a bunch of mod work. Um, And one of my mods happened to be this uh, kind of military squad combat kind of a game where you and your squad kind of do these coordinated maneuvers. Um, and at the time, Pandemic happened to be working on a game called Full Spectrum Warrior 2, which was a kind of a, a military strategy game for consoles. Um, and so my mod and uh, the game that they're making kind of like synced up and they hired me on as a junior level designer. Um, yeah, and they just started doing just started doing design work there. So then you worked for Pandemic for just over four years, and unfortunately, as we all know, anyone who follows the video game industry, Pandemic was then unfortunately closed down. How was that sort of time? I don't know, like, I imagine a lot of time has passed to someone, but was it quite scary knowing, oh, now I don't have a job? Or were you kind of like, yes, now I can make my own games. <laughs> was it that simple, uh, or was it a little more scary than that? Yeah, <laughs> it was a kind of it was kind of a mixture of all things. So like I, I, the, the the sad part was that the the teams there were amazing. Like I just learned so much from being around these you know brilliant people. Yeah. Um, but at that time, I kind of was. Uh, this was around you know two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and like Steam was was starting to. Um, kind of become more of a concrete thing, and like yeah. you saw more and more small developers start to, uh, you know, make a living off of Steam. So I thought, oh, you know what, this might this kind of is a fortuitous thing. Maybe, maybe I can just start doing my own thing, and you know, in between looking for jobs, just try out this indie thing for a bit and see how that goes. Um, and you know, I just got really lucky, and uh, Flotilla kind of sold well enough that I could just do this full time. Oh, because I was going to say, because I did wonder if you were actually looking for other jobs within the games industry at like other companies at that time, or did you sort of have your heart set on being like, okay, well now I want, I've worked for like four years in AAA, I kind of, I want to do my own thing now. So you were actually looking for jobs at the time too. I was, um, and I think a large part of that was because I did not really know that independent game development was a thing like i i thought that oh if you want to do video games you work at a company because that's how it works you got you need a publisher and you need you know boxed copies on shelves um and you need all that stuff you need all that publisher support um but it kind of became more and more clear as i i learned i heard more about these games like uh you know braid or world of goo or things like that yeah oh it's just a person in their, you know, bedroom game, <laughs> um, and that's I could do that too. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a try. And so that now you have been doing that for almost ten years, um, which is doubly as long as you were in AAA. Do you <laughs> miss that sort of team dynamic, working in a team? Because unfortunately, the the pitfall of being an indie developer is sometimes maybe the maximum amount of people you work with is, is two other people or so. Do you sort of miss that sort of team dynamic? Uh, yeah, I mean, for the first few years, I just kind of worked by myself in my um, living room, um, which was, you know, it was productive, I guess. But 
Yeah, after a <laughs> it while, sounds like I got so many kinda, distractions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got kind of squirrely after a while. Um, but yeah, I. But thankfully, I in the uh, in the past few years, um, some local developers and I in Los Angeles started a little co-working space called Glitch City, and so now we have like an actual office that we all go to, and we're all still independent, but we all still get to, you know, kind of be in an environment where you're around other. Developers. That kind sounds of, like an. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a really, really good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like you get to do your own stuff, but you still get to you know be around cool, interesting developers who do what you're doing. Do you see? Do you see when that kind of thing happens? Though, do you see other aspects of other people's games creeping into your own, or aspects of like quadrilateral cowboy creeping into other people's games? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the people working here are extremely good at games, and they're, it's a very humbling experience. And, you know, I, I am more than happy to take other people's ideas and, you know, steal them from my own. So on the flip side of all this, then, before we move on into the games that you've chosen to talk about, other games other than your own, which I imagine is something you have been doing as the only team member of Blender Games for 10 years now, nonstop talking about all these games you've created. How has it sort of been becoming one of the sort of faces of successful indie games we you know we, we have rami we have john blow we have the you know the guys of team me and and you know yourself as well you these sort of figureheads of successful indie um stories how has it been becoming kind of one of those people i imagine you get constantly asked about advice about how to approach it and how to go around releasing your own indie games and all that kind of stuff uh yeah it's well a quick note is i i do work with other people every now and then like I, uh like people who do port the game um i work with another level designer for quite a little cowboy so it's not entirely by myself but usually it's just me and a few, a few other people yeah um but yeah i i i don't know how to answer that question i, I <laughs> uh like the, the way i got started was you know in basically elementary school or junior high and high school just doing uh, map making, just making ma- maps for first-person shooters, and then I worked for AAA, and then you know after I left AAA, I I kind of feel I'm just kind of returned back to what I was doing as a, as a as a student in school, um, and so I I don't know I'm just doing what I'd be doing as a hobby, but I happen to be getting paid for it now. Um, and it's it's kind of difficult to see it from that third person perspective of uh, I don't know my my place in the the gaming industry world. Okay, so more of just like well, I'm here because I would be doing this on my own anyway as a hobby, even if I wasn't getting paid. It's just kind of like I'm I exist and therefore I do this making video games, kind of that weird. But that weird thing has happened where your games have been fairly successful and you have won these IGF awards and all that kind of stuff. So it puts you kind of on a pedestal for being one of the the select few people who have been successful within that industry that people maybe really want to be successful in. And then they kind of look towards your stories as a basis for how to approach it themselves. Yeah, I guess it's kind of difficult to parse for me because I I feel luck has a lot to do with it because I see so many games out there that are 
um, just incredible pieces of work. Um, but then I hear stories of how that developer is kind of, I don't know, having uh, some struggles trying to get the sales or, or uh, you know, can they, can they make another game because this one didn't do so well. Um, and then like I, I look at my stuff and think there's, you know, the stuff that I'm doing and the stuff that they're doing is not, they're not dramatically different, um, but for some reason, for some dice roll reason, uh, I don't know, things just did not fall into place for some people and yeah. it's just kind of default place for other people. I don't know. It's it's difficult. It's it's difficult for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Well, I won't push you any more on that. And we are here because unfortunately we are, even though you are, uh, one of these people that people look forward to, uh, look up to as a successful story well now because you've been so successful you have to be banished to an island um i'm sorry about I that i understand uh, <laughs> yeah i mean i understand it's fine <laughs> so we aren't going to banish you in, uh, to one of the deserted realms of final game which we will talk about in a little while exactly where it is you're going so you have chosen eight games to take with you to this place. And uh, as I mentioned uh, just before we started, it is quite the uh, eclectic and strange list that we usually, uh, compared to what we usually get on final games. So I'm very interested to hear about the games that you've chosen because they are definitely out of my realm of knowledge of the video game industry, really. It's more very early PC oriented, which is very, very cool. I'm very interested to hear about it. So why don't we jump into the first game and uh, let's talk about it. Sure. Yeah. So let's listen to some music from the first game and then let's dive straight into it. <laughs> Sounds good. So jumping in now to Brendan's final games, and the first game we have on this list is a game developed by a studio well-known for another certain series, a series that came a little later after this one, all about a man called Master Chief. Um, it was designed by Bungie and produced by Jason Jones and that wonderful team that went on to make Halo uh, with you know music by Marty O'Donnell. It released on Windows back uh, early in NA, back in 1997, it is the sort of real-time tactics video game, Myth, The Fallen Lords, the first in the Myth series. Brendan, why is the first game you're taking with you Myth? I love this game so much. <laughs> I love it so much. It is, it is a real-time strategy game that does not have any base building, um, does not have any, like... Uh, resource collection it is it just plops you in a map gives you an objective and it gives you a bunch of units and you just 
you just go at it. It just jumps straight to the to the meat and potatoes of combat. Um, but I mean, what what makes it so? It's kind of a fantasy game. There's like wizards and yeah. knights and archers and that. And what makes it so good is that it's treated um, it's treated like a simulation. Like they they simulate physics on everything. Uh, there's terrain and, you know, physics objects kind of rolls up and down terrain. Um, if you have archers on high ground, their arrows, just purely through physics, not really game rules, the arrows just, you know, they just go farther because that's what happens when you're on a hill. And when you're, you know, when you're on the bottom of the hill, then you're at a disadvantage. Um, and it just does all this systemically. Like, none of it is, uh, you know, faked or... Um, done through smoke and mirrors it's just treated like a simulation and it just gives you these really cool situations like if you put your archers behind your own units you might get hit by friendly fire so you then it makes you like move your archers in a way that your so your arrows your friendly arrows don't hit your friendly guys um you know if you throw a a, a dwarf grenade satchel on the ground um, it it might be a dud. It might not go off. But then you have this live grenade, this live satchel that's just sitting on the battlefield the entire time, <laughs> just waiting for someone to like hit an arrow with it or uh, you know get a fire near it so it blows up. Um, yeah, the, the game is just treated in this way that gives you these really cool storytelling moments that's just done purely through the systems. It's weird because I do remember I haven't really played miss my my extent of learning about Miss Wells through retracing Bungie's uh, you know, history back before Halo and all that kind of stuff. And um, I do remember coming across something that like Jason Jones explained about the physics engine, which was like we wanted to create a system where you had to sort of solve issues that you wouldn't usually have to solve in video games. So like if you place an archer like at a higher evolution, at like a elevation, and you wanted to like shoot an arrow, it would have to go downhill. It's you can't cheat physics, so you have to think about that. And I thought that was like really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's great. It just simulates all these systems and like they all just come together. Um, and like when you play these multiplayer matches, you end up with these wonderful moments like every match because um, just the physics and the terrain and all the units' abilities, they all just kind of meld together in this way that gives you all these little emergent possibilities. Well, this was a huge game for Bungie back then. It's weird to think like that a studio had like... Because Myth had like, what, four games in its series before... Halo? Th uh, this was a huge, was... yeah, yeah, huge was, franchise was... at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, hey, hey, I love Halo. Halo's wonderful. Um, but when I think about pre-Halo Bungie, they made some, like, thoroughly incredible stuff. I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of made it a rule to not, to try to not include too many games from the same developer. But, like, um, like Pathways into Darkness was this uh, action RPG that they made that was extremely interesting and cool. Uh, Marathon yeah, was Marathon. fantastic. Uh, uh, Oni was really interesting. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, they they and Myth is is extremely good. Um, and like what another great thing that I really really love in the, the older Bungie games is uh, the storytelling stuff that they have and the world stuff that they have is absolutely I think it's still incredible. Um, in college, I used to. Uh, pour over these these fan pages called the Pathways into Darkness story page and the Marathon story page. Okay. Um, and what they did was that they just kind of went through every single bit of, um, you know, uh, piece of story bits in these games, like all the little uh, details of the computer terminals that you read, all the um, things that happen in the game. And when you kind of start peeling apart the stuff that they were doing in these games and to find all these weird connections that all these games have to each other and like what a rich kind of universe that they created, um, I feel that it's really one of the more incredible examples of uh, kind of story and world building that... um, video games have done and it's all from games that Bungie did you know decades ago yeah back in the early 90s one of the weird thing as well is like I think Myth had like a super strong online community as well through their own system like through Bungie.net which was kind of crazy at the time and being someone who I imagine played a lot of multiplayer and is a big reason why you think of this game in such a, a high light. If you're going to a deserted island with a game as old as Myth now, with no servers and no ability to play it online, is like the single player aspect of this game going to be strong enough for you to keep it as a choice on the deserted island? I have to admit, I actually did not play much multiplayer. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, well, that makes that even better. Player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love the story stuff. I love the campaign. Um, and just, you know, you could just play the same mission over and over again. And because the systems are so, uh, intricate and they just give you so much different results that it just makes the game fresh for me every single time. So perfectly replayable, such a good choice for the deserted island then. Oh yeah. I love it. It's great. (laughs) Well, what a great way to kick off final games then with a game that you love so much that is instantly replayable. It is that perfect balance of both nostalgia and also practicality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good start, Brendan. That's a really good start. Well, we're going to move on to the next game now, and we're going to sort of talk about the deserted island in which you're going to be taking Myth to then, and we have to think about where we're going to send you. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's talk about it.
So before we move on to your next game then, Brendan, we have to talk about the deserted island in which we are going to send you to, where you're going to be spending, you know, the rest of your time playing Myth and the next games that are going to be coming up on the list as well. We do allow you the choice of where you're going to go. You know, we are banishing you to a deserted island. That's kind of shitty. But, you know, we want you to be comfortable playing your eight games. So we allow you to think of a place from video games, anywhere from video games, to be a deserted place in which you can spend the rest of your days now. Um, the rules being that, of course, there will be no NPCs who can help you out, nobody who can help you escape from the deserted island. But if you think of maybe a place that has like monsters or nature that could be harmful, well, that's going to happen. <laughs> so you have to be a little careful about what you choose. Okay. All right. Huh. Interesting. Huh. What What are other places that people have chosen? Uh, so, for example, uh, Outside Island from The Wind Waker is a very peaceful and beautiful place that a lot of people have chosen. We've had The Island yeah. from The Witness. We have had many, uh, many sort of friendlier places, places to relax. Um, uh, the, the English countryside from Everyone's Gone to the Rapture. Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um, well, yeah, we've had quite some very peaceful places, um, but also okay. some people who've risked it. We had, um, who, who did we have recently? We had Mr. Chris Avalon, the PC RPG master. Last week, he chose the island of Benoit from Dead Island. So he was, re he was really risking it. <laughs> he was going to, he was going to put himself tooth to nail with zombies, which was, I advised him was not a good idea, but he went anyway. Chris is a tough guy, so <laughs> okay. Can I can I go to um, can I be one of the spectators in a Mario Kart game? You could be, but you'd be the only spectator, and you wouldn't be able to <laughs> you wouldn't be able to interact with Mario and anyone in case Mario tried to help you out. Mario's okay. a really friendly guy, so. But I'd still see their carts, like, going past me. Yeah, but wouldn't that be a kind of weird hell where you'd <laughs> constantly be watching Mario Kart matches while trying to play eight games and also survive for 60-odd years, if you're lucky? I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Do, do we have a specific track in mind, though? Oh, oh. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do the... Um, uh, uh, the Rainbow Road. Wow, that's even scarier because Rainbow Road's yeah. a pretty. It's gonna be my psychedelic hell. You're really putting yourself in a strange place here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. Which Rainbow? Okay, then we have to then we have to nail it down to which Rainbow Road it is because there are like oh, six Rainbow yeah. Roads. Uh, the 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 what? I just played the one the Mario Kart Eight on the Switch, so I'll do that one. Okay. So we'll take you to the brand new Rainbow Road, and yeah. you can somehow be suspended in space <laughs> playing Myth on a PC while watching Mario and Donkey Kong and Peach all fly by. Yeah. Okay. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Well, the next game you're going to be playing while trying to play while you have all these these car go-kart noises going off in the background 
is a game developed by Looking Glass Studio and published by Eidos Interactive. It was released back on the PC back in 1998. Um, it's a stealth single-player game that um, featured Ken Levine on the design team. It is set in a medieval steampunk metropolis. You, of course, players take the role of that wonderful car- character, Garrett. It is the first-person stealth action game, Thief the Dark Project. Brendan, why is Thief the next game you're going to be trying to play with Mario annoying you in the background? Uh, yeah, Thief Thief is a very important game for me. It, um, I think at that time, I, I really loved first-person shooters, and I played a ton of them. And then Thief came out, and it was such a weird, different, and like ambitious game. Uh, you know, in this game, you are you play this master thief, and but the gag is that you are kind of a you're kind of a weakling man. Like you can't really fight very well, and um, if you get into combat, you're you're kind of in a very tough position. Um, and so what you have to do is you just have to always, you know, to to not engage in combat and to hide and to run and to escape and to just stick to the shadows. And there was this role-playing aspect that I I just can't get enough of. Um, and I think for what makes it work for me is that kind of similar to Thief, I'm sorry, similar to Myth, is that uh, this kind of also is very... Uh, systemic and very open-ended and just kind of enables the player to do you know what you want Um, it kind of very actively goes does not do scripted events um, and instead just simulates an open world and just kind of lets you make your way through it lets you make your own stories and have those player experiences what what are they called systemic experiences yeah yeah definitely and it's, it's weird because, because Thief was that kind of game. They, I think they called it like non-confrontational gameplay. Where it was yeah. this first-person action game where maybe first-person action is not what you want to do. Which is weird. You make a game all about first-person action, but then convince the player, well, that's not the best course of action. <laughs> so try and think <laughs> of something different. Try and do something different. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's... I think it was very, it was such a move to make a first person, at that time, you know, first person shooter game, but there's no shooting. And in fact, combat is just bad for you. Um, (laughs) I think that's great. I think that's such a bold design thing. Um, And yeah, uh, like the missions are so, there's so many routes you can take. There's so many, you know, possibilities of ways to complete objectives. it just makes the game so, you know, so fresh and interesting. It's weird because emergent gameplay wasn't really a thing up until games like Thief started to appear. These, It was difficult to build games that could have the sort of technology that would allow the player to run against all these unscripted sort of NPCs that just sort of could be distracted and then do different things. It's... It's kind of a weird game that stands out at a, a time maybe that it was before its time. Like it wasn't, the, the ideas were like there, but the technology wasn't. So it, it was kind of janky a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you had you had games like System Shock and Ultima Underworld and 
Jurassic Park trespasser. <laughs> but I, I, I think that what I liked about the specifically is the fact that, um, like, yeah, it was an immersive sim, but what made it special for me is that it was a very focused immersive sim. Like, it, it tried to do one thing, which was you play Sneaky Man, and it just did <laughs> Sneaky Man really well. Um, like, it wasn't about, oh, you can do all these different approaches that you could be... Um, you can shoot your way through or you can talk your way through. No, it's just doing this one thing and focusing on it and giving you, you know, just digging as deep as possible into this one uh, stealth approach. Um, and I, I really like that focus because I think it made it much stronger. Um, instead of trying to do everything okay, it did one thing just extremely well and just nailed the execution. Am I right in thinking Thief was a game that had the ability to make your own levels? Uh, I think eventually a level editor was, was released. released. Yeah, is that something you've ever experienced, ever tried to play around with in Thief? I didn't. No, I think at that time I was I was deep into Half Life, and I didn't have room in my life for for two different <laughs> map editors. <laughs> would you Would you be Would you want to take one with you? to a deserted island to make some thief levels oh i would love that i would love that so much yeah what is the kind of what is the kind of a emergent gameplay thief level that you would have in mind what would you try and do with sneaky man (laughs) uh you know what i i really liked um in dishonored there was a map where you're at a masquerade ball. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, like, Dishonored is, to me, it feels very much like... Uh, I was going to bring up Dishonored as being the only other thing I can really think of as a modern thief. Yeah, it's, it feels very much like a spiritual yeah. spiritual sequel to Thief. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. this sneaky man, though, has the powers of a god, almost. <laughs> very different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it shares some DNA, but yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, I think I think something along those lines would be interesting to play with because you don't you kind of don't really see that very often. No. So, in terms of like creating powers, though, would you stick to the sort of non-dishonored way of doing things? Would you do more the thief line of gameplay where you have to sneak around, or because you now can create a thief level where you have powers, would you give yourself uh, loads of powers? Uh, I don't. Well, it depends on what I can bring to my desert island. Can I bring a modeling software, or can I bring, you know, can I can I write code there? I think I would just stick to the thief stuff. I'm not sure what the level editor allows. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it does allow you to make your own weapons. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But we don't want you to be too overpowered. Otherwise, then it wouldn't be thief. <laughs> you wouldn't be stealing things. Which is. <laughs> Have the, are you like big into stealth games anyway, or is was Thief sort of this because of the way Thief was? It, it, you know, even with other stealth games like Dishonored, like Metal Gear, like you know, even indie games like Mark of the Ninja and stuff, you're still like a really powerful character. You're still like a a very capable human being or monster or something. Do you like stealth games that even? When they give you powerful stuff, you can still have to sneak around and do stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I am a big fan of the stealth genre of games. Um, 
I think I, 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 I like it. I think, I think they're very difficult to do though. Um, like I think, I think there are, there are lots of pitfalls you can fall into when doing stealth stuff. Like one of my, one of the things that drives me bonkers is whenever a stealth game, uh, does a thing where when you are seen, it's like a game over or, you know, the game kind of becomes just impossible to, to continue from that point. Um, I think what's more interesting is kind of what Thief does um, is where when you do get caught, the game continues. Like, the game doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. You have but to now, solve the problem of being yeah, caught. Yeah, now right? the game kind of becomes a different thing where it's like the guards are all aware of you now and the level kind of atmosphere just changes. It's like, oh, now instead of... Um, being sneaky man now I'm the hunted being hunted by everyone and the game just you know it doesn't stop it just kind of evolves um, and I think that's that's when self games do the best yeah because Dishonored does that as well Dishonored where you know you'll sneak around a level but if you are spotted it it doesn't end the game the the guys just try and attack you and then they are alert from that point on that someone is in the the level I think right. So they yeah. they, they yeah. react a little differently from that point on. They never forget, like in true Metal Gear fashion, where it, it, as soon as you disappear into a bush, it's like you never <laughs> existed. That kind of that kind of other balance that doesn't quite sit right for me sometimes. That whole well, now I just phased out of existence for these guys, yeah. and uh, you know they they go back to whatever original state in their programming that exists, um, which is really interesting because Thief is such a old game. It's like 1998. The, the, it was definitely a game that I feel was like had ideas before its time and intriguing to think what that team could have done with technology now compared to the PlayStation 4 Thief game that we got, <laughs> which I don't know if you have any opinions on. Uh yeah, I mean I played it. I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, oh, you enjoyed I, it. That's that's interesting. Yeah, because it uh, did not I, review very well. Uh, I will say that the the new thief, the I think twenty fourteen thief. Yeah, it has some of the best hands in video games. <laughs> that, yeah, but they float in front of you and they do weird motions. Like he's always casting a spell. It's kind of strange. Oh, it's great. Like well, <laughs> so some, something that first person first person games do is that when you interact with something um sometimes like the thing just magically like when you open a door the door just opens yeah whereas in the new thief whenever you interact with anything your hands will go out and actually do it like if you want to pick something up your hand will come out touch the object and pull it into your body uh, if you open a door it'll reach out to the door and open it um and one thing that i think is still amazing that i have not seen none of the other game is if you're at a uh, a railing, and this is a new thief. If you're at a railing and you press forward, your character will put their hands on the railing and lean over and look down. It blew my mind. That was incredible. <laughs> so, new thief has some good stuff in it. So, some good technology that's making its way. Into yeah, other yeah. games, maybe. They're, they're actually kind of like the idea, like, um, I can't remember what game it was where you could sort of, you, you you would put your hands on the wall and you would, like, lean around the corner. I can't remember what game that was. That was that oh, blew my Outlast mind. had that. I yeah, you could, like, 
that you would put your hands on the wall and then you would sort of like pull yourself around the corner and you would you would have a little look that kind of weird technology where sometimes you don't expect it in a video game it just appears you're like what why is this amazing (laughs) new thing that is in this game of all games like it's a joy (laughs) well Uh, but yeah when you when you mentioned like what would that team be doing now if if there were, you know, that technology from today, I, I, I think about that a lot. Um, well, they're, like they're all I, over the place, aren't they? You know, the, you know, you had Ken went on to do like Bioshock, which is kind of similar in atmosphere, I think, and in world design, essentially. And then you had some people that, you know, were part of the Dishonored team and that kind of thing. Looking Glass kind of split off to make all these kind of other spiritual successor games anyway. But at, at that yeah. core team, I wonder, well, the, you know, System Shock as well. A game I think about, I think a lot about is Jurassic Park Trespasser, which is kind of notorious for being like, uh, you know, trying to do a lot of things yeah. and kind of having a lot of weird stuff happen in the game. Um, but if that game were made today, it would be amazing, I think. Because oh. th- <laughs> they were being so ambitious and like the ideas that they were trying to do are ideas that would work beautifully today, I feel. For for yeah, example, give 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 me an example. Uh, like the things that they were trying to do with the the animal behaviors and having an ecology of dinosaurs, and you know this dinosaur eats that dinosaur, or this one is scared of that one, and just kind of letting them go loose in the world. Um, I think that's what they were aiming for. I don't. I think for various reasons the engine like just kind of did not pull it off very well. But like, if if a modern game today was to attempt to do that, I think it would um, be an astronomically good piece of work. So just that sort of trying to create that ecosystem, almost the Breath of the Wild esque yeah. interlocking systems yeah. that are. It's like a, I can't remember how the Breath of the Wild team described that the chemistry between everything, where. Uh-huh. You just create a world that runs by itself, and then you put the player in there, and then the player does things. Uh, I can see a running theme with the games that you've chosen here. I know where we're going with this, <laughs> and especially on the next game. So, sure. in fact, actually talking about games that you just get placed in and do stuff, we should definitely actually move on to the next game then. Yeah. So let's move on to this game and let's listen to some very iconic music that if anyone was watching E3 this year, they will have heard about 50 times for some reason. Because um, this game is getting about six different brand new releases this year alone. And so why don't we listen to some music for this next game? And let's, of course, as always, dive straight into it. So moving on to the next game now, I will admit I did not expect this to be on your list, Brendan. I have no idea why. 
It just <laughs> seems like a very intriguing choice. Um, but I can see now, after the first two games we spoke about, exactly sort of where your thought process is lying when you're choosing the games for the Deserted Island, this sort of emergent gameplay where you make your own stories, I feel is a very important part of the choice making you've done here. So the next game, of course, being a game where you sort of just get placed in the middle of the world and you can do the story if you want, or you could just spend your time messing around in caves, fighting dragons, and doing whatever the hell you want. It was directed by Todd Howard and made by the team at Bethesda Game Studios and published by Bethesda and released on every platform known to man. And if you were watching E3, as I mentioned, you now can play the Nintendo Switch version, you can now play the VR version, you can play it on... PC with new paid mods. You can do all these kind of crazy things. It's a game that released back originally in 2011. It is, of course, The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. Brendan, why are you taking Skyrim with you? Uh, Skyrim is uh, the RPG that I would try to make if I had the ability to. It is bananas. What they are doing in this game, I think. Um, and it's bananas, I think, that I think they are the only studio who does this kind of RPG. Um, like, what I mean by that is that, like, they just have these agents who just kind of walk around the world and they just exist there and they behave like, uh, like you'd expect them to behave. They just, uh, you know, bears will try to eat people, wizards will try to cast fireballs on things. Um, and when you just do that, you just end up with this, uh, crazy world that, uh, where, where stuff just happens, uh, systemically, um, and it's beautiful. It's weird because some people maybe don't think that about Skyrim. They obviously think about the world itself being huge and massive, but not about actually what kind of inhabits that world and makes that feel like a living world. Oh, so I think my my personal feeling is the best way to play Skyrim is to get the mod that disables fast travel um, and that just makes you walk to every single uh, place manually on foot or on horse. Um, and for me, my the, the best fun that I've had in Skyrim is just walking from point A to point B. Like the campaign, the mission, those are all they're great. They're fun. Um, but just walking across the world and just going to like a destination, the things you pass by are wacky <laughs> and super strange a lot of times. You'll just see uh, a giant like fighting a bear or wizards just uh, trying to kill some bunch of crabs. And it's like, what? This is like these people were just hanging out. Um, and then they just started <laughs> engaging in combat just by themselves. And then like you can jump in or you can. Uh, it's up to you to decide what to do uh, with this. Um, like it's totally unscripted. Uh, the designers like did not specifically put this in. They just have these characters who are just doing what they want to do, um, and it's amazing. Like it's amazing for a developer to uh, relinquish control that much and to to trust the game and to trust the player to just 
uh, go free and go at it and see what happens. Um, and I think it's amazing. It is definitely uh, a game like, where they just let the player just do what they like. Like they set things, they they do set up those small little things. Like you'll have a lot of things that happen on the road with people who. What I like about Skyrim and one thing that I always thought was incredible was you'll just you will do just as you said you'll you know you'll either ride your horse slowly or walk and then all of a sudden a a random npc will just talk to you that like that that is really different like they will talk to you not yeah. you talking to them which happens in yeah. every other game but they will talk to you and all of a sudden you'll be pulled into that you know that that conversation ui that is so bethesda that conversation you are and all of a sudden they'll like give you these new choices that you didn't expect because you were going to just ignore them and just walk past them and all of a sudden they've they've involved you in their npc lives and you have to then decide you know do i do i go down this path of like helping them out or do i get distracted from what i was doing which i always thought was really interesting about skyrim was like npcs talk to you it's like the it's like the whole soviet russia thing flipped on its head it's like in soviet russia npcs talk to you and which I always thought was really interesting about Skyrim. Yeah, I feel there's just like a, a, a specific design philosophy that that studio happens to have that I kind of don't see in other RPG games. Like I, I feel when I play other RPG games that um, the designer made this very specific thing, and I'm going to experience it now, um, and then I'm going to go do their next quest, and I'm going to do that now. And you know it's very controlled. It's very tight. It's very, um, uh, yeah. It's it's very much like I'm doing what the designer wants me to do. Whereas whenever, whenever I play Skyrim, I feel like I'm not doing what the designer wants me to do, and it feels great. Like there's something empowering about that. Um, like I think a lot of people complain that oh these uh, the these Bethesda games are so they're like there's there's jank in them. There's bugs. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that is just part of what like you can't make what Bethesda is trying to do without without that that. yeah and I think that it's it's kind of for me I feel it's kind of like missing the point of what Bethesda is doing because like when I for this kind of experience uh, these Bethesda RPGs are the place to go and I, whenever I try to going back to other RPGs, they just feel, other RPGs kind of feel so lifeless to me. They feel like they, there's no blood running through their veins. Um, but then they play Skyrim and it's like, this is wacky and they're ambitious. And I like that a lot. It's funny because the only game I can really think upon along those lines isn't really an RPG and that is Breath of the Wild. Because that is the kind of game where the world runs by itself it's the only way i can describe it like that is a world where i feel like when i turn the game off the world continues without me like there are still things fighting each other and there are still like environments happening have you played breath of the wild do you see that sort of same similarity no i think you're totally right i i haven't played too much yet but the the little bit i've played i've i definitely felt that same vibe and it kind of instantly made it uh, like a favorite of mine, even though I've only played like I don't know a couple hours. Yeah. Um, it's like I can't believe there's another game that's going that's pushing so hard on just letting the player um, do what they want to do and just letting the world simulate by itself and just let like the design. You can feel the designer's fingers just letting go and just letting things run. 
um, and just feels really good. It's really funny because one of my friends um, who has recently started to work at Nintendo, um, we had a conversation about Breath of the Wild, and he he found it difficult to sort of articulate why it was hard for him as a level designer to get along with Breath of the Wild because <laughs> it is so counterintuitive to what a level designer would initially do, which is we want to create a gaming experience for you and we want you to go through said experience. Whereas the you know the Zelda team, which was before he came along and before he started working at Nintendo, you know, they had to create, and I, the GDC, if anyone hasn't watched the GDC talk by the Zelda team from this year's GDC, please go watch it. It's excellent. It describes essentially how they, they created the chemistry of the world. Like they, that was what they did. They were like, well, water reacts to this and it reacts to this and trees react to this. And like they created the actual, like, chemistry of the entire world and then when you do that you just let it run and then put the player in there and let the player then be the catalyst for all of the interactions of the chemistry and there is just no other game like even with Skyrim I didn't think that too much until I sort of had this conversation with you but I can definitely see where you're coming from that is the same vein the same similar vein right yeah yeah definitely there's just that you know just going for that philosophy of uh, giving control, giving authorship to the player and, you know, moving it away from the designer and toward the player. It's it's something that I really love seeing whenever a game does it. As someone who makes very character-driven games, um, y- y- your, your games are sort of known very much for the level design being very excellent as well. Is it something you're sort of working your way up to building? Uh, do you want to be able to create a world where you can just let the player do what they want in a Brendan Chung game? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that is definitely a game that I would like to do someday. Um, I think for various reasons of like production reasons and yes. uh, technology reasons, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a different situation for me personally, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely that's something that, you know, I, I admire a lot and I would love to do. So with the incoming VR Skyrim version, um, Brendan, are people going to be worried about whether you're dead or not? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That'll be fun. <laughs> is it, do you do you think VR Skyrim is like that? That's it. That's like the pinnacle of video games for you. You can actually now I... not only character exist in the world, <laughs> you personally can now exist in one of these worlds. I would love to give it a try. That sounds really <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I feel like I'm deserting you to an island, but I feel like that's more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to put that aside. I'm I'm very intrigued. Please, please let us all know when Skyrim Beyond comes out what you think of that. I would be so intrigued <laughs> to know, one, whether you're alive, two, how it is <laughs> yeah for sure well we're going to move on to your next game now and we're we are changing it a little bit we're we're not we're not creating oh well i don't know i don't know you probably have some crazy wacky reason about creating your own stories in this video game through experiences <laughs> so i'm not even going to try and articulate what i feel this choice is and uh it's very intriguing this choice because i feel like the timing of when the show was created 
gave this game a unfair disadvantage because it has not been chosen that much. Um, and I believe... That's shocking. Then it's shocking I'm, I'm, for the reasons yeah. of how big this game is. But anyway, let's listen to some music first. And then let's, of course, dive straight into it. So of course, jumping into the next game now, very iconic, wonderful music that will tell you that if you know and recognize, it is of course the game developed by Valve and um, released back all the way back in 2007 now, which, you know, as part of the Orange Box, oh God, I feel old, 10 years ago since this game released, which is incredible. Um, it's of course the team-based multiplayer first-person shooter that is team fortress 2 and i as i was trying to say before i feel the timing of the show is an unfair advantage upon this game because since the release of this show and when it started when people think of team-based shooters now we have a whole market of games like overwatch that maybe cloud the mind of and choice of people who think of team uh, of team based shooters and team fortress 2 being such a juggernaut at the time it's kind of slowly disappeared i feel uh i i feel that it's so team fortress 2 is kind of my um my my go to game when i just have like a few minutes to spare i just want to play so you still play it now like, yeah okay i love team fortress 2 okay it's great I love it. Oh my god. Uh I I used to play a lot of Quake 2 Deathmatch. Yeah. Uh, and I, I used to play a lot of like first person shooter deathmatch when I was younger. Um and what I love about Team Fortress 2 is that it it is a really tight and focused uh shooter game. Like it's well, I think you can you can make an argument that the the hat and weapon stuff is kind of wacky but um i think like the i think the 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 core design of the class systems and the way that all the classes overlap with one another and kind of interact with one another and kind of have these kind of natural um strengths and weaknesses that just emerge from the systems um i think it's it's incredible and the way that the, uh, it all comes together uh, is really, really beautiful. And I think that even, I think a lot of people sometimes complain about, oh, the, the, the modern Team Fortress 2 was, I have all the hats and weapons and all that. I, I still play it, and I still, I, you know, honestly, I kind of don't understand what's happening a lot of times. Um, 
But I mean, a rocket always behaves, you know, like a rocket. You always want to avoid it. And uh, for me, like the the game is still perfectly playable, um, and it still is just as fun today as it was, you know, ten years ago for me. It's weird because we do have, you know, these huge Steam hits, and obviously games like Overwatch that come out, and the team based. Uh, multiplayer like not even just shooters obviously we have MOBAs we have strategy games and all this kind of stuff all these team based games but for so long Team Fortress 2 was like the game everyone plays like non-stop like our gaming like every post was about Team Fortress 2 and, and just for so long everything was all about Team Fortress 2 and then it's funny because up until you know having you on the show today I haven't thought about it and I don't think anyone really has. I'd be super intrigued to know what the player numbers are now post games like Overwatch. Because I'm really intrigued to hear that you still play it. Because I thought maybe yeah. you chose it for like, oh, well, if I'm going to a deserted island, I'll, I'll, I'll replay it. Like, I, I will start playing it again. Because that's a game I enjoy. Oh. That's what I thought. Maybe you would take it. You'd be like, that's a game yeah. I really enjoy. Maybe I'll start playing it. Because I haven't spoken to anyone in ages Who's who is playing Team Fortress Two? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's for me. It's just a game where where every every single aspect of it just comes together. Um, like you, like someone someone described to me, um, like whenever you see a good movie, just know that the way that that happened was lightning had a strike ten times in a row, and I think that for Team Fortress Two, just lightning stroke lightning struck the ground like 10 times in a row and just like they just nailed uh the gameplay they nailed the art style they nailed the level design um the characters and the personality are like they're really funny and like the voice lines are super charming yes um every absolutely. character has a very you know they have a very distinct like demeanor and like um uh a character that they have uh which is I don't know. It just it just makes it such a like. I just want to be in the Team Fortress Two world. Man, this is a multiplayer <laughs> game for Christ's sakes. This is not like a narrative cinematic thing. This is a multiplayer game, but it's like one of the most memorable yeah um, environments and characters that I've seen. The pe- the the characters that inhabit that world are both dumb and stupid and dangerous, though. So I mean, it's a little <laughs> they they are crazy. And you know, if but they're they're dangerous in like a charming and funny way. <laughs> Almost that is... like a that that Acme kind of cartoon holding the cartoon bomb kind of yeah. styling. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so is this another game where it's kind of like the multiplayer experiences you've had with friends and stuff, where you've made your own stories, or you you remember a time where something funny happened, where you were like pushing for a a capture point and something hilarious happened and you're just like oh i'm gonna remember this forever <laughs> that kind of <laughs> gameplay yeah uh just like like you can you can draw a chart of all the classes and like you'll find that every class just interacts with every other class in these really cool funny ways um and like i i think that uh the fact that it is like uh, for me it feels like kind of a um, like every class has basically like one or two abilities and that that tightness for me just makes it work uh, really really well it's funny actually because I literally just as we were talking I googled the stats for 
Team Fortress because I'm so interested in, in to see what the player base is. And looking at it comparatively across the board, this game has lost maybe maximum 10,000 average monthly players, which means still quietly in the background, there is this <laughs> huge community of people who are, have ignored the Overwatch trend, they've ignored all everything else that's going on in the mobile space, who are quietly still going and playing Team Fortress 2 games forever. It's a good game. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also great because it means if you are going to a deserted island, you are going to have players to play against. Now, one of oh, the rules great. being, if you take an online game with you to the deserted island, I mean, mm -hmm. do we even have internet connections in Rainbow Road? That's also something yeah. that needs to be solved <laughs> yeah. and figured out. Um, but you're unable to chat with other players. Because otherwise, oh, okay. you could then ask them to, hey, dude, I'm stuck in Rainbow Road. Come call me an Uber <laughs> or something. Call me an Uber to the track, and uh, I'll try and get out of here. Um, is Team Fortress 2 a game you'll be able to perfectly play without communicating with other players? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. That's fine. Perfectly. Yeah. Just going to get by <laughs> playing around with the wacky characters instead. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that the Meet the Team anim animations are also in the game client? Like, you can watch them in the game client? Uh, I don't know. I'm not aware of that, but maybe. Because that would be yeah. great. Because having, yeah. like, those small movies, like, would be an additional extra. Because they're great. Oh, those are so good. They're so good. <laughs> what, was the, what was the last one? I think it was Meet the Pirate was the last one. And that was like... Yeah. <laughs> is there any left now? Uh, I think they did all of them, to the best of my knowledge. I think Meet the Pirate, there was a massive gap between, yeah. what was it, Meet the Scout, and then, oh man, I, I can't remember. I haven't thought about Team Fortress in so long because of this trend in gaming that we've had with all these team-based shooters. Um, it's nice to see it still sort of chutting along in the background with all these <laughs> players. With, so Team Fortress is the this game you're going to be taking. Do you play a lot of multiplayer games, Brendan? Like, speaking of as someone who makes their own games, you know, you have to be your own boss and you have to make your own schedule. Do you set aside time to play games or do you find that you just don't have that much time so you have to play, like, multiplayer games and stuff like that? Uh, no, I play a fair amount of things. Um, I kind of don't play as much multiplayer stuff nowadays because I... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of intimidating to jump into games where everyone is much better than you. Yes. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, Team Fortress Two is kind of like a TFT is kind of like a comfort food for me. So in terms of like playing games and, and sort of dedicating time to it, do you have like particular choices now? Is when do you have to be a bit more selective about your time with the game? So are you still able to sort of freely be like, well, I'll try this game, I'll try a little bit of that game, and I'll just see what happens. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of try whatever looks to be interesting to me. Um, like, I just finished uh, Prey, uh, which was extremely good. So, like, I mean, the certain games that just appeal to me, and I'll just pick those up. Excellent. Well, last week, guest uh, Chris Avalon, who was part of the the writing team of that game, will be very happy to hear that you <laughs> oh, yeah. enjoyed that it's, game. It's amazing. It's <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now, then. And um, I'm once again not going to try and put a reason or a guess onto why you've chosen the next game, because this game also is a game that you is a simulation game, and lots of things can happen, and many different things can happen in this game as well. So why don't we listen to some music from it, and let's, of course, dive straight into it.
So the next game on Brendan's list is a sort of private prison construction and manumation, uh, management simulation game that was developed by Introversion Software. And for some reason, I think I've mentioned this on the show before because this game has been chosen before, but I still get weird newsletters about this game like once a week. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't have the game, but I still get newsletters from Introversion Software about this game constantly and updates that are happening. It's a game that's been released almost on every platform, originally being released back in 2015. It is, of course, Prison Architect. Brendan, why are you taking Prison Architect with you? Uh, So a game that I um, admire a lot, but uh, have had some difficulty trying to actually play is uh, Dwarf Fortress. Okay, yes. It's a simulation game where you manage a colony of dwarves. Um, I think it's I I think Dwarf Fortress is one of the most important games of uh, the past decade. Um, but uh, the 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 interface for it and the UI are a, a bit too challenging for me. Intimidating I, to say the least. Yeah, I I, I kind of need I need a baby interface because that's the only thing I could use. Um, and Prison Architect kind of. Uh, for me, it kind of feeds that desire to play that kind of game, um, but with like a, a pretty simplistic, just mouse-driven interface. Um, so Prison Architect is you you uh, construct a prison and you put down walls and jail cells and um, you know different facilities, and uh, your prisoners just then use these facilities, and you know that's that's the game. Um, but the, the, the gag is that it's unbelievably detailed, like the detail, every single part of the prison, uh, the detail, the electrical system and the plumbing systems, um, the toilets, the laundry, uh, the food distribution, the laundry, uh, the, um, fresh, uh, fresh clothes for the prisoners and how to distribute those. Um, and the so the guy becomes like with all of these bazillion systems, uh, the 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 secret of the game is that you kind of never enter a state of uh, equilibrium. Like there's always something that's lacking because you know this facility is too far away from this thing, and so it becomes less efficient. Um, or you know you sacrifice this in order to make this do better. Um, and so you're just constantly struggling to make all these systems work, um, which sounds, I'm making it sound very stressful, but it's actually like really uh, compelling and really uh, one of the best building games, I think. It does sound very stressful. <laughs> 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 Having watched countless TV programs about prisons and how disgustingly bad they are run and how difficult it is to manage all those inmates, it does sound like a very stressful experience. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 a it's a fun kind of stress to me. Um, it's just kind of interesting to try to try to jam all of these things into a, a nice tight building, um, still trying to make it look like aesthetically beautiful. That's your thing. <laughs> uh, like I, for a while, I was I was really into this game. I would just wake up in the morning, get a piece of graph paper out, and start like trying to plan out my my perfect prison that would you know work beautifully and keep the prisoners happy and all that um it, w- it would never work but it was just like fun to think about is this it a- was just one of those games that yeah is this another one of those games where random stuff can happen like prisoners can just prisoners have like a certain ai or a certain like uh 
I don't know, um, sort of attitude where they will respond to different things in different ways that maybe you don't expect. Right. Like different prisoners have different demeanors. Okay. They're just randomly chosen. So some people um, are immune to uh, uh, discipline or some people, you know, get angry at the drop of a hat or some people, you know, they just, they have all these different relationships. Um, you know, some people are in gangs. So uh, if you let this uh, prisoner uh be too close to that prisoner then the you know they'll do um their gang will growing strength and they'll cause problems for a prison um but yeah there's all these different like overlapping things that kind of create these situations can you do horrible things like kill them and stuff if you mismanage your prison i try to be a good warden so i wouldn't know about that <laughs> <laughs> have you lost anyone on your watch oh many oh yeah I so mean, you're not uh, that great game, a warden no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I try to do my best. My best is not good enough. Uh, it's, it's a game where uh, it's, it's, at least for me, it's very difficult to, like, to make a prison that works well because there's always something. Uh, because, the, because there's so many systems and because there's so many overlapping things, yeah. um, you know, if you jiggle this part of the jello, it'll, <laughs> it'll shake this other part of the prison. Um, and that's what makes it so good to me, I think. Excellent. Well, what is the kind of prison you're aiming to build then? If you, you know, we're looking at a long stretch of time, you're going to be stuck on Rainbow Road. Um, you know, if you're lucky, 60 years, human life expectancy, and let's say Rainbow Road's, you know, out in the middle of space. So I don't know how long you'll last. But let's say you have a good chunk of time to make your perfect prison. What is it? What are, what are the things you're going to be aiming to get right? Yeah, so... Something that Prison Architect has is they have this, um, they have a kind of like advanced building object objects where you can do uh, logic gates and like you can set up um, like when when this when this uh, touch plate when this floor plate is activated, then activate then send a signal through this wire to activate this other thing. Um, like for for the base game, you you never really need to touch this stuff. Okay. Uh, but what's cool is that because they add this all this logic stuff that's optional, uh, it kind of opens the door to do all sorts of kind of weird things, like um, uh, like trying to make like an automated prison that kind of just functions by itself, depending on. Uh, if this prisoner steps on this floor plate, then that will you know open this door and close that door like an airlock, or you know do something. Uh, you know, I think one of my things would be to try to make a prison that kind of runs itself in a way. So, to, to you can just sit back and watch it, almost like yes. simulate itself. Get to the get to <laughs> like play so much of the game that you get to the point where you don't even need to play the game anymore. Yeah, my dream is to not play the game and just watch it. Is... <laughs> just turn it on every day and be satisfied that your prison yeah. is working at optimal efficiency <laughs> and you don't need to do anything. <laughs> That's my dream. It's like EVE Online. Like you get to the point where just all systems are in place. You just like yeah. press a button and everything happens. You generate money. You, you have people who do work and everything. Just It all happens automated and you just sit back and you're like... Ah. Yes, my masterpiece is finished. See, I think that's immensely satisfying. I agree, it's <laughs> satisfying. Great. I just don't know how long. <laughs> I, well, then you could just start again, couldn't you? You can just make a new cool prison. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now, and it's a game that I have no idea about at all. Oh, I've never even. Right. I don't think I've ever heard of this game. Um, so you're going to have to. You're going to have to explain to me a little bit. I think I can introduce it, but then I'm going to pass it over to you, and you're going to have to tell me all about it. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game? And then, of course, as always, let's dive straight into it. So the next game on your list, Brendan, as a game, you know, I said, I don't really know anything about. I I know it's a tactical role-playing game that was developed by a Russian developer called Nival Interactive. And um, it was originally released back in 2003. Um, It's sort of turn-based tactics RPG, not not a stealth game, or not stealth, I mean, not like a strategy game, which is usually what these kind of military shooter type games are um, but it's a bit more tactics based it's a game called silent storm or silent storm 2 silent storm oh no just silent, silent storm. storm okay the the logo yeah. is s2 and i guess that just means yeah, ss two s's yes yeah, it's a little bit confusing yes i well i guess they could go with ss that would not be good marketing um but yeah this is a game called silent storm and i have no idea about so please one, tell me why you're taking it, and also, what what is it? Yeah, so Silent Storm is a um, a tactics game, a squad tactics game. Um, it's kind of akin to XCOM. Yeah, okay. Where you have a small squad, and you carry these units from mission to mission, and they, they grow in strength and they gain equipment. Yeah. Um, and what makes it really good... For me, is that uh, oh, and the, and the setting is kind of a kind of a sci-fi or World War II kind of setting. Um, and what makes it really work is that the uh, when you enter these combat stages, um, you know, you it's turn-based. You you give orders to units, then they do you then the uh, you and the enemies take turns doing actions. Yeah. Um, but what makes it really beautiful is that it really drives hard on um, letting you express your players in a lot of ways. Uh, like there are, uh, there's a lot of stances for your characters. You can make them, uh, there's, a, there's a normal walking stance, there's a running sprinting stance, there's a uh, kind of kneel walking stance, there's a prone crawling on the ground stance. Um, each of these kind of gives you different bonuses or penalties on your accuracy or movement. Um, so the characters are very, uh, you can, 
you can kind of do a lot of things with them. Um, and the the other thing is that the world is the levels are made to be completely destructible. Um, like if you see any wall, uh, it'll kind of like get uh, damaged and then get destroyed in a uh, in a simulated way. Um, and then if you destroy enough of a building, then you know the the entire chunk of a uh, that building will kind of crumble down. Um, and when when you put all these systems together, you kind of end up with this uh, XCOM like game. Um, that kind of drives a little bit further on the simulation front. Um, and it kind of gives you these really great kind of combat sequences. So it's, it, so the, it's like a tactics, but it, so it's not quite strategy then it's, it's more like XCOM, but with the sort of shooting down the environment, can you like bring the environment down on your enemies and stuff like that? Can you like make walls fall on them and stuff? Uh, it's been a while since I've played, but I believe so. Because um, that's kind of cool. Can use, yeah, yeah, and like it. Uh, I think at that time it was kind of like unheard of, and I think like to this day you you kind of don't see. Well, at least the ones that I played is that the the tactics teams that I played. They it's it felt so good to kind of use the environment in this way to kind of like if you want to make a shortcut through this area, you can just blow it up and like walk right through. Yeah. Um, games are usually yeah, like here's a red barrel shoot red barrel red barrel will explode right. it's not like yeah. you could carve a a giant missile through this piece of wall and it will fall on your end yeah that kind of stuff still doesn't really happen in video games anyway yeah uh, and, it, and it did it like in this really clean and like intuitive way um, so yeah I, Silent Storm is one of my favorite kind of uh turn-based squad games that I played. I think, I think XCOM, like XCOM is a game that I really, really love. And it's kind of like, for me, it's right next to Silent Storm. Um, but yeah, there, there's something about the, the the philosophy of Silent Storm, which is like, let's just have uh, a lot of simulations running. Let's just, um, you know, trust the player to kind of understand these systems and kind of use them in to, uh, to kind of, in kind of fun ways yeah um, just really really works for me it's really intriguing uh you know talking to you about these games and uh, there obviously has been this running trend of empowering the player and like creating worlds where the player has the ability to either run amok or interact in unique ways with the environment as someone who designs games and you know creates experiences as a designer does that sort of not clash with your well, no, I don't want the player to go to that area of the game and mess with that because that's not what I've planned for, that kind of thing. Does that sort of conflict with that feeling as a designer? Uh, I mean, I think it depends on what what kind of game you're trying to make. Um, like, for me, the like the, the, the more story-based stuff that I've done is, is very much not about... Uh, is, is very much about just constraining the player to to see a very specific thing or to do a very specific thing. Um, but like for me, when I, whenever I want to play a game, I, I kind of gravitate toward uh, what, what are, 
interesting ways I can touch the world or, uh, you know, what interesting verbs are you going to give me for this game? Yeah. Um, cause there's, there's something, there's something magical about, you know, we have these incredible machines that can do a million computations. Yeah. And like when a game takes full advantage of that, it's really exciting for me. So just the ability to create and simulate these worlds where they're so different to our own, where, you know, certain rules like physics don't apply too much. Although it's fun to have a game like Myth where it simulates our physics to a T that you, if you think of it like a video game, you will essentially play it wrong. And then, you know, you have games like Skyrim where maybe it's unrealistic to what our real world is like. Like, just creating all these different experiences where as the player you have to think about it in different ways to the environment, unlike more linear games where it seems a little more structured and a little more what you're used to as the player. Yeah, yeah. We're just like, you know, just being able to kind of parse the systems and kind of exploit them in fun ways. There's something... It's really exciting. <laughs> Breaking stuff is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to your next game now then, because this is a game that was before my time. I imagine it's, it was a little before your time as well, maybe. Um, it's originally like an MS-DOS game back in 1992. So I also, I, although I know nothing about this game, I have met the creator <laughs> of this game before. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. Um, it depends which person you're talking about of the two who are behind the company that made the game. But I also made one of the big, not the, the biggest mistakes, but I also said one of the stupidest things I've ever said to this man before as well. But let's get into that after listening to some music. So let's listen if I can find some music from this game. Um, and let's dive straight into it. <laughs> So the second to last game now on Brendan's list um, is a game developed by Toys for Bob, which was uh, Fred Ford and Paul Reich the third. And I have met Paul before. And be, I guess before we get into this, so Paul was in charge of a company called Toys for Bob. And Toys for Bob were the studio who were originally behind Skylanders which was, you know, going to be this big thing by Ubisoft. And they had, you know, these toys that you had to buy, which were like physical DLC that you had to go alongside the game. And I, back at Gamescom 2011, had the opportunity to interview Paul about this brand new game. And I was very unsold on the idea of people having to buy figures for DLC, essentially, 
and I thought, hey, maybe this won't do very well if people have to buy physical things. And he was like, no, I think it's pretty cool. The toys look cool. The game looks cool. And I was like, well, we'll see. Hey, how wrong was I? Because now we have Amiibos, Skylanders, Disney Infinity, um, that new Ubisoft game with the spaceships that was announced at E3. Paul, you were so right. I was so wrong. I do apologize. Now, six years later, (laughs) 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 I was completely and utterly wrong about Skylanders. But yes, we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about a game called Star Control 2, which is a game he made back for the MS-DOS. It's part of the Star Control series back in 1992. It's sort of a science fiction adventure shoot 'em up game. And I have, I have, it was before my time. I have no idea about it. So please, Brendan, please tell me where the second to last game you're taking with you is Star Control 2. Yeah. Uh, Star Control 2 is a, um, a top down spaceship game where you, uh, uh, are a part of this crew uh, of this this little cruiser ship. Um, you awaken to this universe in which uh, Earth has been enslaved by this alien race, um, and the game is about kind of building this coalition coalition to fight against the uh, your your oppressors. Um, and what makes the game really work is that. Uh, in my opinion, it kind of has the best kind of writing in a game I've ever seen, um, I've ever played. Uh, the The way that the game kind of handles characters and kind of handles uh, plot and world stuff, um, it kind of alternates between, you know, being incredibly charming yeah. and funny and... Um, but uh, there's also this really kind of uh, sad overtone over everything because like the the universe has kind of uh, gone to pot and just everything is bad also. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much personality and there's so much character in the world. Um, it's kind of everything that I wish I could do in my in my work, um, and the, it's just handled in this really. Uh, with a really deft hand um, and like I feel that nothing has really uh, from what I played nothing has really kind of reached that level that Star Control Control 2 has reached um, where it's just this just this wondrous world that you just want to learn more about kind of like Team Fortress 2 you just want to like be in there and just kind of absorb everything uh, because everything is just so funny and charming and uh, interesting because even for an MS-DOS game this game had like 20 are different alien species that you could like interact with, right? Like that is an incredible, yeah. that was an incredible amount of fleshing out of a world on an MS DOS game. And each of them has this like very distinct personality and character and like uh, demeanor towards you. Um, it's so rich and it's just so, it's so like thought out. Like you, there's, there's some pieces of work where when you, when you, you know, watch the movie or play the game or whatever, where you just know that the creator just knew every detail, and you're just so lucky to uh, be be getting these little glimpses of of what they were trying to do. Um, and Star Control Two, Star Control Two felt to me like the developers just knew every single detail. Like they they you can see that they understood it in their minds just extremely well. Um, 
And it also has a kind of local multiplayer mode that's also called Super Melee that is also just really, really good. Super Melee. I like that. That sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the the combat is just really well done also. It's, um, like, every spaceship has extremely unique special powers and, like, weapons, and none of them are similar, and... Uh, it's yeah, it's really good. So, tell me about how you ended up playing Star Control Two. Was this a game that you played at that era in time, or is it a game that came a little later for you when you were trying? You maybe exploring different games that you wanted to play? Because um, this is, uh, you know, it's an older game. It's nineteen ninety two. So, w- were you playing it at that time? Uh, I think I played it around that time. Yeah, um, I played it with my brother, and we did a lot of multiplayer. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that it had a single player campaign. And then, um, yeah, it was it was really, it kind of blew my mind. And uh, it kind of colored like a lot of the work that I do of, uh, of trying to, uh, you know, make these interesting, colorful worlds. Star Control seems to be a, I can't remember, there's a heck of a lot of Star Control games in the series and it was a i think there was maybe like six games in total is this a game that you went and then played the other sequels afterwards or was it just like star control 2 had like such an effect on you i think i think there's been i think part one and two were made by toys for bob and then uh the third sequels done by dudmer studio um but yeah i played i think I played a little bit of the first one. I think the first one is very different. I, from what I remember, though, it was very much a um, uh, more of a, I think, strategy game. I believe. Okay. Like, uh, like Star Trek Two had a like a campaign and a world and a universe. Like explore. this is where the ideas went. This was like, hey, now we finally can do this. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Excellent. Well, it's weird because. It does kind of, when you look at screenshots of it, it looks very simple. Uh, of course, being a game of that time. And it's amazing when I speak to people who played these early MS-DOS games or PC games that were a little bit before I started playing games. And the depth and the, the, you know, the breadth of these games. Like It seems like these creators were literally trying to create massive, massive worlds in these very small files and these incredible games. I have no idea how they did it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that a lot of times we sometimes think that um, we have to use a, a new piece of technology to make a game yeah. or we have to you know, use a, a bigger engine or whatever. It's very um, much the trend that has been yeah. for modern AAA for like the ten past 10 years. But then I feel that if you look at the mechanics of a game that you like a lot, um, I, I find it fun to do an exercise where you try to imagine, can this game have been made 10 years ago? And for me, I think a lot of times the answer is, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, if you look at you know a lot of the big games now, can that game have been done 10 years ago? The answer sometimes is no, but a lot of times it's yes. And I think sometimes we kind of, we sometimes kind of fall into that trap of thinking, oh, uh, wait, uh, 
this this game's amazing. But then you think that, oh, it wasn't really technology that was stopping it from being made. It was just, you know, the game just hadn't been Yeah, the, the ideas for that game weren't there, there yet. Yeah. Um, the important question being, though, would Thief 2014's hands been made 10 years ago? <laughs> Did we have the technology? Oh, that's a tough question because those are really, really good <laughs> I want to play that game now just because of these fucking hands that you've told me about. <laughs> you got to, I suggest... Play at least the first twenty minutes. I think I think you'll see the good some good. Hands. You just want to see some good hands. <laughs> well, we're gonna leave the the incredibly fleshed out world of Star Control two now to a game that I don't know. It's I think this game is notorious for both being slated and also praised for its world and the the, the going back to that sort of inter interlinking systems of a video game where all these different things happen depending on the catalyst as the player but for some reason when i think back to this game it gets a bit of a hard run for some of the stupid systems that maybe it tried to implement as a intriguing design choice but let's listen to some music from this and let's of course dive into brendan's final game So the last game on your list now, Brendan, before we send you away to Rainbow Road and you have to be subjected to watching endless Mario Kart matches forever, which <laughs> as much as I love Mario Kart, I cannot imagine a worse hell. There's <laughs> the next game, which is a game developed by Ubisoft Montreal and directed by Clint Hawking of all incredible designers. It's a game that originally released back in October of 2008. Wow, we are moving fast in the world of time. And when I, <laughs> these games are still so fresh <laughs> in my mind, I feel so old now. Um, <laughs> it was originally released back in 2008 for uh, PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. It was sort of the reboot of one of Ubisoft's biggest franchises now. Um, it's, of course, Far Cry 2. Brendan, why is the last game you're taking with you? Far Cry 2. Oh, this game. This game is everything. This game, I want to see more Far Cry 2s in the world. When Far Cry 2 came out, I was hoping it would like jumpstart a Far Cry 2 genre, um, which I unfortunately I don't think did quite happen. But I think that uh, I think that a lot of people did play Far Cry 2 and kind of did kind of take pieces of its philosophy from it. Yeah. Um, which I'm very happy about. Uh, so Far Cry 2, Far Cry 2 is a, a game that kind of drops you in 
Africa and your objective is to um, hunt down and kill this guy who's known only as the Jackal. Yes. Who's kind of a weapons a weapons dealer there. Um, and that's it. That's the entire premise of the game. Um, and in order to do that, you need to kind of do uh, jobs for this, uh, the, the factions there so that they'll, I don't quite remember, but like they'll give you information on where to find the Jackal or something like that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the, what, what makes the game work is that uh, it, it is a game that it's a first person shooter game that very, very, uh, it tries very, very hard to not do scripted sequences. Like scripted sequences are a uh, bad word in this game. Um, and so whenever you enter into combat, it's always the the characters always just um, are just acting systemically. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of systems, just like uh, the previous games I'm talking about. Like there's a fire propagation system where fire just like spreads from uh, the dry brush to wooden structures and will just burn things down. Um, you know, all the uh, there's there's things like uh, there's weapon degradation. There's uh, this map system has it has the best map system <laughs> in any first person game. It is spectacular. You you press a button, and your character will pull out a paper map from their pocket, and will just hold it up in front of their face and a GPS system. And- <laughs> Yeah, and the game keeps running. Like it doesn't. The game doesn't care that you're reading a map. The game does not pause. It just keeps on running. Uh, so like pulling out the map and like seeing where you are is like a choice that you have to make during uh, uh, like an actual tactical choice you have to make. Um, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so good, you, and it just creates so much interesting stories. So you sort of like you've you've glossed over what I think was one of the biggest gripes people had with this day. Uh, mm-hmm. It had like the incredible realism. I think realism is kind of one of the words that came along with Far Cry. And, you know, it had this uh-huh. dynamic weather system where, like, even the fire system, which was incredible, was then affected by the weather system. So the fire would spread yes. depending on the wind and the rain, which, to be fair, is incredible. And the weapon degradation oh, system so is. You know, something but by the by. But the problem is, I think, that most people had, and um, we have failed to mention so far, was that, like, almost every 40 minutes, you had to take a malaria pill, <laughs> which is ridiculous in a game that you're going to play for, like, 30 hours. I love the malaria pills. <laughs> I think that is one of the... One of the most interesting <laughs> choices you could do in a game. And I'm so glad they did it. It's interesting. Can it's you, just can you imagine being in a firefight and getting woozy <laughs> because you didn't take your malaria pills? That's fantastic. I think that's I think that's just I great. think the idea uh, is yeah. is fantastic. I like the idea. But I think in practice it was far too often. <laughs> it's like when you play games you sort of zone out right sure. and and time becomes a, a weird ethereal thing that happens around you and you don't most of the time you don't realize how much time you spent playing a game which in a game like this where every 30 minutes on the clock you have to take like a pill to like make sure your character doesn't 
die. <laughs> I can see it being like a buff thing, but it was a little annoying. So, so for me, when I my experience with Far Cry Two is that, um, so I I the only reason I played it was because I heard a a Patrick Redding talk at GDC two thousand eight. Uh, Patrick Redding is a narrative designer for Far Cry Two. And he gave this really amazing talk about narrative systems, um, some of which made it into Far Cry 2. And it, it's one of the best talks I've listened to. And it made me like, oh, I got to This game sounds like wild. I got to play this. So then I picked it up and I was playing it. And I was playing it and I thought, oh, I don't, I kind of don't like this game very much. There's a lot of things that I just don't feel good. Yeah. Um, I'm not really having fun with it. Um, and then I, I played it for a little bit more. And then at about, I don't know how long, maybe maybe two hours or so, the game just suddenly clicked for me. And I, underst- like I got what it was trying to do. And what I felt what it was trying to do was that this is not a game about power fantasies. It's not a game about being a cool first-person shooter. This is a game that just does not care about me at all like it doesn't give a <laughs> shit it, it doesn't care if i live or die or do or do well or have fun um it's giving me malaria what is this game and like it became once i kind of like changed my mindset into um kind of accepting for what the game for not what i want the game to be but for what the game actually was um it just became this amazing experience of of playing this Thing that I've never seen before, um, and kind of to this day, kind of still has not been surpassed. I think of what what it was trying to do. There is definitely a sense of realism of against the player. Like when games try and strive in realism, it is always to the benefit of the player. Almost like maybe guards will be stupid or or will make mistakes because human error and that kind of thing but the player will never make human error like that will never that that kind of more to the benefit of the player than anything else whereas Far Cry 2 was the exact opposite it was like (laughs) you're going to be put in the middle of Africa you are going to fight your way almost to the top and the 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 heat and the the fire and the weather and the fact that the the technology in Africa maybe like the weapons aren't so great because of the environment and that kind of thing so the weapons are going to not work after a while and also the fact that you're going to get malaria is like well that would happen if you went to Africa but you are the player but we don't care <laughs> I love it I love it so much it's funny that you were inspired to play the game by the narrative designer when you went and played this game yeah. without any narrative purpose whatsoever Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah, the irony uh... in that is quite brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always remember listening to um, uh, Tone Control, Steve Gaynor's podcast, and his episode with Clint Hawking about Far Cry 2 and talking about the player interacting in systems in that game and not being not not fair, but making the player a bit more on their toes than usual. Like making the player be a bit more aware of their the world they're in compared to other video games. Like this is a, this is a video game world that is not fair. Yes, it's great. <laughs> uh, the the extra part of that is that I played on the 
Xbox 360, which did not have a quick save function. Uh, so that meant like whenever I finished a mission, I had to safely make it back to a safe house <laughs> and not die. Oh my God. It was, it was such a good experience. So considering your fate as someone who is now going to be the 59th member of Final Games and be banished to a deserted realm alongside many others, including Steve Gaynor, um, we'll have to get Clint Hawking on here and give him his punishment for Far Cry 2. Um <laughs> Brendan, don't you think that's a little unfair? You don't need any more unfair worlds upon your life. I feel like the hell of America is a little, is a little more than you know. Your just desserts. Now you now you're imposing a self-inflicted punishment of Far Cry 2's world. Uh, but it's different because I'm voluntarily bringing it like I want it, <laughs> kind of masochistically. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I love Far Cry 2. <laughs> what about the Far Cry games that proceeded afterwards then? Obviously, you were saying earlier when we introduced the game that you were hoping that, uh, you know, other, they would, they, if this would kick, this would be that thing that kickstarted, you know, the genesis of these types of games. And I, I think it kind of did. We saw open world games appear a lot. I mean, this was pre Skyrim as well, um, and that kind of thing. Um, but Far Cry, it definitely kickstarted Far Cry as a series because Far Cry One was this kind of awkward shooter that was pretty good. It used the crisis technology and it was kind of cool, but I don't think it did very well. Then Far Cry Two, all of a sudden, was like this triple A masterpiece on consoles that had all this incredible technology that people really were drawn to. And then we had Far Cry Three, which was huge. Far Cry 4 being massive, then Far Cry, the series just keep going on. And now it's this huge AAA series. Um, how have you sort of gone along with the series? Have you kind of just been like, well, you know, Far Cry 2 was what Far Cry 2 was. Now I'm just sort of put the series aside and it'll, it's not quite the same. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've played them and I, I do enjoy them. Um, I think the they have these kind of outpost missions that, uh, in my opinion, are kind of the the my most enjoyable parts of those games. There, there are these missions where you just need to, um, you know, take out all the enemies in this little enemy encampment, and you can just approach it from any angle you yeah. want, and you just you know use any different approach you want, um, and it, it kind of taps into what I really like about these Far Cry games. Um, uh, and they also introduced the, the animals, which are great. I love just getting mauled by a tiger while I'm hiding in a bush. It's just always good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel that they are. I feel that they are kind of trying to do something different than what Far Cry Two was trying to do. Far Cry Two, to me, uh, like when I say Far Cry Two, like what I was uh, kind of hoping to see is that more uh, first-person games that kind of go extremely hard on the systems and simulation front of you know simulating weapons degradation of simulating you know having to pull out a map um of you know of never pausing the game yeah world. uh there's some there's something there's something there there's something juicy there um, <laughs> that i think i'd love to see more of Do you, is there any of the games that have sort of done similar things to far cry 2 yeah, uh, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, I think the the new Zelda game for me kind of touches a lot of Far Cry Two things. That There's I like. definitely um, that outpost but, feel 
for, um, Breath of the Wild definitely does, has that thing where you'll have like a Bokoblin outpost where they're all like up in different tree levels and you'll be able to approach it for, like it'll be in the middle of a field so you'll be able to approach it from right. any side and in any way there is definitely that kind of feel to it as well as as long as well as the sort of environmental stuff yeah definitely like you you can see it from afar you can kind of make a plan and then you can execute on that plan and it just feels really yeah cool. um but one game that i i really uh i felt what well, for me felt like a very far cry 2-ish was the new uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, the Phantom Pain? Ah, uh, okay. Um, I I kind of have not played many Metal Gear games, um, but I felt that this one, from what little experience I've had of the other ones, I felt just extremely narrative light and just game heavy. Yeah, just tossing you into the world and you know take out this base and just giving you a bunch of interesting toys to play with and. Um, Kind of just letting the systems just go, yeah, and yeah, I, I definitely got that same Far Cry Two vibe, and I really, really liked that game. Yeah, that definitely was the sort of way MGS Five sort of changed. It's weird because that was kind of one of the biggest, I think, um, negatives for people who were fans of the series was it it did change from being a very narrative heavy game to a narrative light game that was like, hey, we're just gonna stick you in the middle of a level and you're just gonna do whatever the hell you do to mm. pass it. Like we'll give you all of these oh. tools and then you can do it um, and see, <laughs> I loved see it. how it goes, which I really do enjoy. Far Cry didn't give you many tools though. It, it more gave you different environments. I feel it was less, less on the tool uh, set, more on the, well, the environment's going to do yeah. weird things. Yeah. I kind of, it kind of pushed hard on, you know, just getting simulating what you did have really deep. Yeah. Well, Brendan, we unfortunately now have to come to a time where you're going to have to go to a, incredibly strange world um <laughs> i can't even wrap my head around having to go to rainbow like is there like can you walk around rainbow road can is there i, do, uh, I don't know how this yeah. really works you you've you've thrown me for i a, think if you're a, yeah if you're a spectator you just kind of sit there and just watch the cars i think and you're totally fine with that for the for the rest of well, it's your choice, my yep, friend. That's, it's my life now. <laughs> this is my life now. I'm just going to play Far Cry 2 and simulate some beautiful fire and watch some go-karts. But, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's been so wonderful to listen to you talk about these games. This is a lot of fun. Thanks. No problem. And there is one last question I have to ask you before I let you go, and it's the same question I ask everyone before they leave. So p- please be prepared. <laughs> and that is that... We've spoken a lot about games on Final Games, of course, as always. And, you know, playing games is very important. But the way we play games is also incredibly important. And uh, I know you grew up being a PC guy and very early on exposed to that sort of PC thing. But if you had to go to a deserted island and you were going to take a way to play a game, so a console, unfortunately, I cannot let you take PC because you can emulate everything on PC. Um, but if you mm-hmm. can take like a console experience with you thinking about all the games that are on that console and the way you interact with that console in terms of like the car, the, the, the UI and the, the systems and also the controller and all that kind of thing. If you could take one console with you, what console would you be? Uh, I, I pretty much only have one right now. So I guess I'll take that one. Uh, I have a PS4. A PS4. You would take the PS4? Yeah. Not thinking back to like the Xbox 360 with those days of Far Cry 2 and all that sort of stuff? Oh, hmm. You know, I, that's a tough choice. 
No, I think I'm just gonna stick with my PS. <laughs> I got a bunch of got a bunch of games that I downloaded on it. It'll be fine. Excellent. Well, you can take the PS4 and those games as well as all of these wonderful eight games that you've taken with you, um, and you can enjoy creating all of these emergent gameplay stories for yourself to tell no one. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, because that's what you're destined to do now. Um, you're going to just have to keep them in your mind as great memories. <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the show. So please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened so far um, where they can find you on the internet, what of yours they should check out, and anything else that um, you'd like to say. Uh, yeah, you could find me at blendogames.com. My Twitter name is blendogames, B-L-E-N-D-O, games. Um, uh, yeah, this was really fun. I love talking about games, and these were all games you that kind of... You are excellent at talking yeah. about games, so that definitely makes <laughs> a lot of sense. You are fantastic at talking about games, Brendan. It has truly been a pleasure having you on the show. And um, for anyone listening who has not played any of Brendan's games and enjoyed listening to him his games tell stories exactly the same way brendan tells games incredibly passionately and very very well so please check out especially check out quadrilateral cowboy that came out was it end of last year or earlier this year uh but the middle of last yeah, year. yeah yeah check out quadrilateral cowboy it is absolutely fantastic and brendan thank you so much thank you it's been a pleasure and thank you right, to who has listened to the show today. Thank you, as always, for checking out Final Games. You can listen to Final Games through SoundCloud. You can also listen to it through iTunes. And if you are on iTunes, you can rate and review the show. It's also on all those other wonderful podcasting networks that people like to listen to, Stitcher, Acast, and all those wonderful things. If you want to find Final Games on the internet, you can. You can go to at Final Games Show on Twitter. You can also email me, Final Games podcast at gmail.com if you want to find me personally liam edwards on twitter you can at liam bme and i talk about japan video games and i recently announced a video game i'm making so also please check that out um you'll find that through twitter and that kind of thing so thank you so much for listening to this episode of final games and thank you so much to brendan for joining me and until next time i'll see you again thank you and goodbye thanks